to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is... John Van Trieste. And the destination... The 1970s. In July 1987, just over 30 years ago, Taiwan began its journey towards becoming a multi-party democracy. Close to four decades of martial law had come to an end. Taiwan had done away with autocratic one-party rule, closing a painful chapter of oppression and opening the door to a new era of civil liberties, direct presidential elections, and peaceful transfers of power. But the lifting of martial law was not some abrupt break in Taiwan's history. Instead, it was the result of a long struggle that built momentum, until finally, with the help of U.S. pressure, the old system could no longer hold it back. Here to tell us about Taiwan's long path to democracy is Professor Chen Fangming, University Chair Professor at National Zhengzhou University's Graduate Institute of Taiwanese Literature. Professor Chen says that attempts to build an alternative party to the ruling Kuomintang stretch all the way back to 1960. That year, a man called Lei Zhen was jailed for his opposition activities. Among those activities had been his work in founding a new party, the China Democratic Party. The ruling Kuomintang refused to tolerate the party, and this first attempt at an organized opposition ended in failure. Still, Taiwan's intellectuals would continue to feel the need for an opposition party to bring authoritarian rule to heel. A decade later, the ground had become more fertile, and the dream of democracy spread. The 1970s saw the rise of export zones in Taiwan, where manufacturing was done on behalf of foreign companies. Professor Chen calls this a precursor to today's globalization. Working people of the time had many frustrations, wages that were pushed down, an inability to set up unions, and a lack of any freedom of association. Under martial law, these people were under pressure and had no valve to release it. They certainly couldn't speak about their frustrations either. However, thanks to the export zones, wealth began to flow into Taiwan. A Taiwanese middle class began to emerge. Fairly well-off people with educations, but no rights to political expression. The idea of challenging and checking the ruling Kuomintang with an opposition party started to percolate among this new class as well. Around 1974 or 1975, a new word emerged to describe these political nonconformists. Dang Wai, outside the party. Around the same time this word emerges, Chiang Kai-shek died. This was the Kuomintang leader who'd been given Taiwan after World War II and the same man whose government imposed martial law on Taiwan after losing the Chinese Civil War. The death of such a central figure was a blow to the system he'd put in place, and from 1976 on, the opposition Danwai movement grew. 
，台湾社会当时也有开始有一种文学叫做台湾乡土文学。But Professor Chen says it wasn't just those thinking about politics who helped push Taiwan's democracy movement forward. He says that around the same time the Donghui movement was growing, a new wave of Taiwan-centered writers were building up what came to be called the Taiwanese literature movement. This movement spanned all the major groups that make up Taiwan's population. It brought together Taiwan's indigenous people, ethnic Chinese people with long roots on the island, and even the newest arrivals, those who'd fled to Taiwan with the Kuomintang at the end of the Chinese Civil War. It was a diverse bunch of writers, but they were held together by a shared focus on local Taiwanese themes and experiences. All of this went against the official artistic policy of keeping local expression under wraps. These writers also felt an opposition party was essential to resist the powers that be, or at least to bargain with them. Professor Chen says the Donghui movement wasn't just built by those taking political action and making political demands. It was also built by writers who made artistic demands, demands that they be allowed to write about local subjects. Nineteen seventy-seven was the first pivotal year for Taiwan's democracy movement. That year, independent candidates from outside the Kuomintang made a strong showing in elections to the Taiwan Provincial Council. That year also saw a victory at the local government level. Xu Xinyang, a Donghui candidate who'd cut ties with the ruling party, won the leadership of Taoyuan County. His victory was especially significant because of an irregularity during the voting process. They want to vote, don't let Xu Xinyang win. Then, because he didn't vote, the local people were very angry. On the day of voting, an attempt to rig the election was uncovered in the local city of Zhongli. Word of the vote rigging got out, and before long, an angry crowd had surrounded and burned down a police station. The angry crowd was suppressed, but the attempt to fix the election results failed. Xu Xinyang was declared the contest's rightful winner. After the Zhongli incident, as it came to be known, supporters of democracy felt emboldened. Ordinary people had stood up to the powers that be and had gotten results. The optimism of 1977 was misplaced. In a few years, Xu Xinyang would be living in exile. Still, Taiwanese people look back on the Zhongli incident of 1977 as a watershed moment. Human Rights Day falls on December 10th each year, and on December 10th, 1979, a number of leading opposition figures gathered to mark the day and call for democracy in the southern city of Gaoxiong. The event was broken up, and a number of people arrested. Among them were eight prominent pro-democracy leaders, the so-called Gaoxiong Eight. Their trial in 1980 was conducted by a military rather than a civilian court. There was something unusual about the proceedings. 
所有的军事法庭从来没有公开审判过，在美国的压力下，蒋经国接受，而且要求他们在法庭上。Every word was transcribed and printed for the public to read. This kind of transparency had been unheard of, and it blew away any official excuses that the Gaoxiong Eight had been mere troublemakers. Professor Chen sees the hand of Washington in the openness surrounding the case. With what he believes was U.S. pressure leading the Guomindang to relent and make the transcripts public. I, I in Taiwan, I've never experienced a Chinese-dominated moment. Through reading the trial transcripts, an awareness and understanding of democratic thought spread through the public. Taiwan's democratic movement matured. Without this maturity, Professor Chen says, the movement could never have succeeded. Of course, the arrest of the Gaoxiong Eight was a big blow. The release of their trial transcripts wasn't enough to save them from prison. But at the same time, their arrests weren't enough to put a lid on the Danghuai movement either. As we'll hear next week, when Professor Chen joins us again, the 1980s brought a loosening of control and a flowering of social movements that would make the push for democracy too much to contain. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time.